Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. I am your host, James, and joining me today is Joe. Hey, folks, how you doing? Also joining me from a galaxy far, far away is the host of the podcast Trash Compactor, a mostly Star Wars podcast, and he's also the host of the Star Trek edition of this podcast. Uh, Josh Bernhardt is here with us. Hello there. And joining us today is our very special guest. He is a writer, a producer, a publisher, an editor, an actor, the founder of the official Star Trek and Star Wars fan clubs, the publisher of the Star Wars Insider and the Star Trek Communicator. Mr. Dan Mazden is here with us. Hi, guys. It's great to be here with you. Thank you so much for joining us, Dan. And um, our podcast is kind of uses the tropes of comic books. So um, with that in mind, I'm going to tell our audience that Dan has recently been on an episode of Josh's podcast where he talked about a lot of his stuff dealing with Star Wars. So um, we're going to focus on other stuff with Dan today. So if you want to hear some of that stuff, you can go over and, and listen to that episode and then come back to this episode or vice versa. But, but Dan, obviously, feel free to talk about whatever you want to talk about if we're covering new stuff. Absolutely. I'll talk about whatever you want me to talk about. Well, I kind of want to jump in uh, with the fact that um, just your thoughts on it. You're kind of the person who laid the foundation, I think, for modern fandom, it seems like, because you were the person who way before people were doing it now, kind of walked between two worlds. You like Star Trek and Star Wars. And I remember growing up that it was Star Wars or Star Trek, Marvel or DC. It was like Coke and Pepsi back then. So <laughs> you, you were doing this before everyone decided we should embrace all forms of pop culture. So what was that like for you? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I started with Star Trek. Uh, that was what caught my attention. And that was before Star Wars was ever around. So um, I had, my passion was Star Trek, the original. Um, and, uh, and then, lo and behold, 1977 rolled around and Star Wars came out. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away by that film. And so I thought, well, you know what? Um, I took down all my Star Trek pictures and posters in my room and put up Star Wars pictures and posters in my room. <laughs> um, but, but my Star Trek passion never left me. And um, I realized at some point that um, I could love both. And uh, so it really started with me starting a Star Trek fan club around the time of the uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture in And uh, I started a fan club during that time period. And it just continued to evolve and grow. Um, Gene Roddenberry got a hold of it. It got more professional. Um, at, at that point, uh, I got contacted by Paramount Studios about doing the official Star Trek club, which I did, and, and the club began to grow, and I got more employees, and it just became a, a, a much bigger project. And then um, Lucasfilm saw what I was doing uh, with Star Trek and contacted me in about 87, 86, actually. I flew out to Skywalker Ranch and met with them and said, uh, I, I'm ready to start doing the official Star Wars film if you're if you want me to do it they said yeah but let's start with just lucasfilm because star wars at that point there was no new star wars films in the in the pipeline it was only lucasfilm projects and so i said okay well we'll call it the lucasfilm fan club and then if george ever gets around to doing star wars then we'll change it back and make it the official star wars fan club and uh so for many years there i covered lucasfilm projects like willow and uh Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, um, and Tucker, and then word came that George was working on the prequels, and we 
started preparing to change the fan club name back to Star Wars and change the magazine's focus to uh, Star Wars primarily and call it the Star Wars Insider. And that's how it all began. I started with Star Trek, and it was because of the success I had with Star Trek that I got Star Wars. So, uh, so they both. Uh, and and actually, what's interesting is that Star Wars was a much bigger fan club than Star Trek, but Star Trek was able to benefit from a lot of the things that we had to purchase for Star Wars, computer equipment and and such, rent and places. Um, and um, so it, Star Trek started Star Wars, but Star Wars uh, helped Star Trek along through the years. So they both kind of complemented each other um, in my life. Yeah, well, you could say the same thing, too, with uh, the state of the actual uh, shows themselves, because, yeah. uh, you know, you know, arguably Star Trek the motion picture wouldn't exist without the original Star Wars. Uh, certainly not in that form. Yeah, that's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, Joe, you had a question about that actually too, right? Before we were going the hot on mics, you were you were you know thinking about your um, Dan. You told a story about Star Trek, seeing Star Trek the motion picture, and Joe, you had some questions about that. I know. Well, yes. Uh, star, um, well, I, I, full disclosure, I'm not a fan of Star Trek the motion picture, and Josh and I have gone back and forth about that. And we even have a we even did a podcast that needs a resolution at some point, um, but. Um, <laughs> I did stay online, uh, stay online in Manhattan, in Times Square, in the rain for two and a half hours to see Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Uh, I, I, I gotta say honestly, I, I was disappointed, but I was still wildly excited that Star Trek was back. And I, no one knew then. I, I don't know. Maybe Paramount knew. I don't know. But the fandom didn't know. At least I didn't know that this was going to lead to so many Star Trek movies and then more Star Trek TV programs. So. Thank God, Star Trek: The Motion Picture premiered in December of 1979, and I was there the first day. I was also there the first day that Star Wars premiered, in May 25th, 1977. So, um, oh, wow. yeah, I was I was there. I took my cousin, my, my baby cousin. He wanted to see the picture. He was only like 10 years old. Took him with me. But um, no, it's uh, I, I I can understand how that motion picture could launch someone into this world because it was so. Obviously, it was so, so so much different from what we had seen previously. We had Star Wars two years before, and now we have Star Trek, which everybody knew from TV. But, you know, Star Trek is, the, to me, anyways, the more cerebral, obviously, of, of, of the two franchises. So uh, I just you know, I just I just think that um, while it wasn't my favorite Star Trek motion picture, that's Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, uh, yep. I, I'm happy that it was premiered and it, it did fairly well I, I understand right yeah but, yes yeah it did you know there were a lot of people disappointed with star trek the motion picture i think after it had come out uh, there was a lot of questions there would be another star trek movie because ah. uh, that one did not get a, a warm reception um and uh, i i went and saw it and i i loved it but i was aware of its of its um of its failings and its shortcomings you know i i still loved the movie regardless of what um, critics were saying and some of the fans were saying, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. So I, I know for a while there, there was no assurance that there was ever going to be another Star Trek movie. I mean, we had to wait around until uh, 80, uh, 82 for Wrath of Khan. Mm -hmm. um, that was very exciting because it really kind of it changed everything. Yeah. Uniforms, you name it. 
And once the Wrath of Khan came out and it was such a hit, then we thought, okay, there probably will be another Star Trek movie now um, after that. And we also wondered if they would somehow try to bring Spock back, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, um, and, and Josh was right, you know, without Star Wars, there would not have been a Star Trek, the motion picture. So it's interesting if you look back at the history of these two franchises, you know, um, George Lucas has said in the in, in several interviews, and in fact, one with me, um, that, you know, uh, uh, he was influenced by Star Trek. He watched Star Trek when he was younger. And Paramount was influenced by the success of Star Wars to do a Star Trek movie. So it's interesting how these two franchises have somehow kind of um, out the other, you know, or made whatever project they're working on a little bit more, a little more happening because of, because of that. So I think it's interesting that, that Star Trek and Star Wars have kind of uh, kind of patted each other on the back, so to speak. Hmm. Along those lines, Dan, correct me if I'm not mistaken, but there's one photo of George Lucas and Gene Roddenberry together. Oh, and I believe, uh, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, uh, 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 did you have something to do with them meeting? I didn't have something to do with the meeting. I had the, I took the picture that is. You took the picture. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I was at, it's funny because that was at the um, 1987 uh, Starlog Salutes uh, Star Wars event out in Los Angeles. And 87 was when we just started launching the new Lucasfilm fan club. So I was there at that event with a big table and we were promoting the new fan club and signing people up that time at that time. So I had gotten word that Gene Roddenberry was going to come and surprise George. George had no idea Gene was going to wow. be there. And um, I realized, you know, what an amazing event now, the two titans of the sci-fi world um, coming together in one place. They'd never met each other before um, and they'd never seen each other after that as well. So this was the one time that the creator of Star Trek and the creator of Star Wars actually met. Um, and so I was there and prepared with a camera to get that picture. And um, I published it in the uh, in both of the magazines. It went in the Star Trek fan club and the Star Wars fan club magazines. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, at the time it was kind of, I realized, you know, how monumental that was that these two enormous franchises um, influence they had had on, on the world. Um, and how they came together, and it was only for a few minutes. I mean, it didn't last very long. Gene came out, they surprised him, the crowd went crazy, they shook hands, Gene made some comments and such, and then and then he left. And so uh, it was not like they were on stage together for an hour or anything. Um, but uh, that's a special moment I'll never forget. Oh, that's wow, incredible. that's amazing. Yeah. No, I was gonna say, like, consider, like, I, you've got to interview George. You've, you've gotten to interview Roddenberry. Did the two ever mention what they thought of the other's franchise, or ever give any reflections about the other's franchises? Um, yeah, actually, um, I had asked George about Star Trek because he knew I was doing Star Trek, and he had told me in one of the interviews that I did with him that you know Star Trek was an influence on him. He had watched it when he was younger, and so uh, he had made some comments about that and. I did interview, you know, I've done multiple interviews with both of those guys. And then Gene did mention to me in one of the interviews after the motion picture had come out that he was grateful for Star Wars because he said that was the impetus that gave Paramount to look at their property. They were, oh, heck, what do we have that's like Star Wars that we could, we could 
take advantage of it. And lo and behold, there was Star Trek just sitting there, and they thought, okay, that's our Star Wars. We're going to do this, you know. And so, uh, so yeah, they both they both did mention each other in um, interviews I, d- I had done with them. It's funny you phrase it that way. Uh, their, uh, uh, you know, Paramount thought Star Trek was their Star Wars uh, because I think, I think that. Uh, the attempts to make Star Trek more like Star Wars has resulted in some. I think that's a misunderstanding of what Star Trek is is best suited for. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. I, um, I agree. I actually, you know, you said you made a newsletter, a Star Trek newsletter, right? So right. not a zine. So no, it was a it newsletter. Was, it was really more of a newsletter um in the very beginning and i mean you know it's almost embarrassing for me now to look at those because they were so <laughs> primitive you know? i mean i sat down at a typewriter and typed them and 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 put pictures i'd cut out of other magazines in there and and then i went and xeroxed them off you know i mean that's how it literally started um and so you know you've, you've got to start somewhere you know i look back at it now and i think man it's so primitive now everybody would look at it and go, uh, you know but that's how it began. Well, I think we all did stuff like that, Dan. I mean, uh, when I was in high school, I had a friend who was a, an artist, and we wanted to do a, a comic book, and we did, um, I think, I, we did a Batman, uh, Mister Miracle team up before DC oh. Comics ever thought of doing it, and it was. I remember staying in front of the mimeograph machine, in in, in the school at Bishop Lachlan, and just running off copies and just <laughs> and getting high on the ink. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we. So I think we all has, have uh, done something like that. But uh, you you turned it into an empire. That's that's incredible. Well, you know, it it, it 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 was a full. It was it was nothing but to do that. I got lucky that my passion got the notice of the people at Paramount Studios and Gene Roddenberry, who became a good friend. And then um, I was very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time to have it get in the hands of uh, Lucasfilm and George Lucas and um, and to be there in what a lot of people call the dark times because I was there when there was no new Star Wars movie. The thought of doing Star Wars on TV was, there's no even, uh, no one even imagined hmm. that Star Wars would ever come to TV. I mean, there was the holiday special, but everybody wanted to forget that, you know? <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if you had told me Back when I start, when I came on board with Lucasfilm, if you had told me that in 2023 there would be a how many different Star Wars series on, and uh, mm-hmm. a show just for Obi Wan Kenobi, and I, you know, I would have, I would have, I would have said, yeah, no, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, it would have been unimaginable back then at that time, and uh, and I, to be honest with Star Trek as well, I would never have guessed that there would have been. So many different Star Trek shows. I could have seen, you know, the next generation was a logical next step when that came out. Um, but I still remember a lot of people, you know, really nervous and kind of uh, griping about, you know, another Star Trek show. And they really became upset when they found out that Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and crew were not going to be uh, on this new Star Trek show. And so it took a while for them to warm up to that and especially to warm up to a captain like Picard, mm. you know, who was so very different from Kirk. So it took a little bit of, uh, you know, massaging to get the fans on board. But at that second season of Next Gen with the board coming on board, boom, that 
that brought everybody into it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I sometimes re- we've reflected on this, all three of us, you know, and our other guests on this. The fact that we grew up in a time when, like I said, we couldn't imagine the the riches, the the, the how much how much content of the things we loved would be out. Like you know, Josh and I and Joe, we've like said like. It's amazing that there is a good Star Wars and Star Trek series on at the same time. And if you told this to me when I was 10 years old, I'd be like, what? That's, that's crazy. There's no way there'd be two, two very good shows on at the same time that I, I can't wait to watch. So it's an embarrassment of riches. And so I, I, sometimes when I hear like fans like saying that this is terrible or I can't like this, I'm like, you have no idea, do you? You don't remember. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, that's a good point, Jason. They didn't live in the dark days like I did because when I was 10... We had reruns of The Adventures of Superman, which I adore and still love to this day. And, of course, we had, we had Adam West's Batman, which, again, fantastic. I adore it. But, you know, it wasn't until Roddenberry and Irwin Allen got things moving in the 60s with, with their productions that the things that we loved so much, we, saw, we started to see, on, on the, at least on the small screen. That's right. So, yeah, but uh, but the kids say I sound like an old fart here. But the kids say they really don't know how well they got it. <laughs> now we're all old. if you're if you're an old fart, we all are then. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> you know, Dan, the reason uh, the reason I asked you about the newsletter was because, um, sorry, and you said uh, you started it around the time of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, or you started a fan club around. The time of Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Started the what I actually started was the Star Trek: The Motion Picture fan club, and the club was mm. based around just that movie, and so everything mm. in it. I thought, well, how can I make mine different from the other local Trek clubs that are all over the country? And I thought, well, mine will just be focused on the motion picture, which mm. is what I did, and I wrote just about the motion picture with a few little things added here and there. Yeah, it was a newsletter. It was, believe me, if you saw some of the first issues, there's no way you could describe it other than a Xerox newsletter. That's exactly what it was. Well, number one, I think uh, we should try to see if Dan would be willing to come back on as a judge for the trial of Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Oh. That's the trial that never ends. <laughs> it's the trial that it's the trial that never ends. Uh, so Dan, so uh, so I work for the defense, and Joe is the prosecution. Oh, I'm check. Um, yes. Well, I'm, you know, I admit right up front, I'm partial to it. So, yeah, he has to recuse himself. Right, so, no, he has to recuse himself, Josh. He's an he's an expert witness. Well, then, if he, <laughs> okay, if Dan is going to be one of the judges, I want I want to change the venue then. Uh, okay, but, okay, fair. Let's 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 okay, swing well, around the sun and go back to 1965. Okay, okay. well. All right, I don't know how we'll watch it if it's 1965, <laughs> but but um, oh, but then the reason why I was asking you about um, you know your uh, sort of professional fandom started with a newsletter. Uh, um, do you think if podcasting was around when when uh, people were making you know homemade newsletters and zines, uh, do you think you maybe would have done a podcast instead of a a newsletter or? You know, I probably wouldn't have, and I'll tell you why, because I'm a visual guy. I like um, mm. like being able to see things on paper, and I like to be able to look at pictures and such. And um, so I, I think I still would have gone the route that I did. I might have done a podcast in addition to something printed. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know, there back in my day, and I mean, now I'm sounding like the old fart here. 
You know, I mean, there was no DVDs. There were no video cassettes. Yeah. There was no, you know, I can remember on the original series, I mean, I was, I put my tape recorder up to the speaker on the television and at four o'clock every afternoon when the reruns would come on, I'd sit there and, and hit the tape recorder and, and record each episode so that at least, you know, I could listen to the episode later on. You know, can't watch it, but I could listen to it. And that was the best thing going at that point. You know? So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's so amazing to me to look back at the beginnings of Phantom for me and how primitive everything was compared to what they have now. Mm-hmm. What well, I wanted to ask you, and, and Joe, you can weigh on this too. When you were starting the fan club, I, I mean, just to like, like, how did you go about getting people to become a part of the fan club and... You know, because Joe was also around around that time is like when small comic book conventions were still around and the smaller Star Trek. And like, how did how did everything build? Like, you know, I know it's a lot to say, you know, because you kind of went through it. But like, is there like how did everything how did everyone connect with each other? It started it started with uh, the help of Starlog magazine. I ran my very first thing that I put out there to reach out to Star Trek fans um, on a black and white um, ad in their um in their little section, you know, for ads you could place. Um, and I put an ad for Star Trek, the motion picture fan club. And, you know, the first five, 10, 15 members came from that. Um, wow. then I would put flyers out at different conventions. I would contact them and I'd say, listen, you know, if I send you some flyers, would you put them out on your flyer table? And almost every one of them said, sure, send us the flyers. We'll, we'll put them out on our table for you. And, uh, and I still remember uh, at Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan when the opening day here in Denver, and obviously there was a line of people going all the way down the block, you know, to get in. I had my friend and I, and we had flyers, and we going down the line and handing them to everybody there, you know. Here, have a flyer. Wow. Here, have a flyer. I mean, that's really, it was grass, yeah. grassroots, you know, grassroots, just, you know, hitting the street and putting flyers out. That's how I, and, and classified ads in Starlog and... That's really how I first got the word out. And, of course, it, you know, it was small in the beginning. Well, what was, like, what did you, like, wrote, like, before you got, you know, had the professional backing of Paramount or the blessing of them, what did your, what did the fan club grow to before you, like, went official, I guess, with it? Oh, my gosh. We probably had 5,000 people. Wow. The fan club before Paramount got a hold of it. And then, um, you know, by the end of, by the end of my tenure running it, it it got up to about ninety thousand uh people in the star trek fan club but the star uh-huh. wars fan club see and this is where you can compare them the star wars fan club and it, it got at its highest peak of membership when i was running it um was um close to three hundred thousand people wow wow now that's so including like the three times the time. star wars insider went out to every single one of those fan club members but we also had it on the newsstand, sold at comic book shops, um, grocery stores. Um, our average print run of Star Wars at its peak, this was probably when we were building up to the premiere of Episode One. Um, we had well over 550,000 copies of each issue out there. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Between fan club members and retail stores and all of that. Yeah, I remember. I, I actually, like, I think the year before... Um 
episode one came out, I think I, I got like a subscription for my birthday <laughs> to the uh, <laughs> Star Wars Insider. I remember part of it is also, maybe I remember this incorrectly. I think there was also something in the, one of the magazines because I collected the figures. Wasn't there like a get a Bith figure from like the uh, Kenner, yep. like one of the band members? I think that was one of the reasons why like I also wanted to sign up because I wanted to send away for that figure yeah, from the yeah, band in the cantina. That was enormously successful campaign for us. We went to Lucasfilm and I said, you know, we should be able to do, we should do an exclusive fan club action figure with Hasbro. Um, you know, what can we do? And so, you know, the idea came up to do the Cantina band members and we would do the, you know, the, is it five? I can't remember now. The, the five members and we'd have a different um, musical instrument for each one. And so you'd get, you'd get one figure with the instruments and so we'd say, you know, it's a brilliant idea because you're going to have to buy five of them if you want to make the band, you know. <laughs> so that's what happened. You know, it was the same figure. We just, you had to buy five and you got you got some leftover musical instruments, you know. But uh, that thing was, that, that, that thing was enormously, so we did well over a million dollars in, in sales on just that action. Yeah, wow. It wow. was, yeah. It was huge. It was really huge. I mean, it, and then every year after that, uh, we we did a different figure. One year we did Ula and Salacious Crumb. That was our figure for one. We did um, oh, what's his name? That was the bartender uh, in the uh, were were yeah were yeah were one year, um, and then there were also Hasbro's doing the um, the Star Wars micro machines. Oh yes, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. So we did some yeah we did I, packaged. Uh, uh, micro machines uh, with them as well. Would you guys do the holographic Obi Wan Kenobi too, or the Ghost Spirit Ghost? That, I, I, that wasn't with me. No. Okay. Well, I, I was like, well, you got me for the figures. You got me for the. <laughs> I was, I was in, like, because, because uh, they had already started the new Kenner line before the Phantom Menace came out, right? They were already doing the the the, the new classics. That's right. And so, Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the power of the force line. The power of the force. That was a, yeah. I think started in like '95 or so. And you know how how it's funny because Star Trek came kind of um, limping along with how to get the word out about the fan club. I mean, with Star Wars, we initially we immediately went to them and said, "Okay, you're going to be putting out millions, maybe billions of products and action figures on every piece of packaging out there. There needs to be a little." blurb that says join the official star wars fan club and we have our one yeah, yeah. great marketing yeah and so you know it was on everything and so you know it took paramount a while i mean, finally went to them and i said you want to know why star wars fan club is so much bigger than yours it's just because they actually helped to promote it and i said you need to be doing the same thing so and they finally got the the idea that yeah we should so they put ads on every piece of Star Trek uh, merchandise and next generation merchandise and uh, and you know it's just that Star Trek has never been as big a property as Star Wars so there, there's no no matter how much marketing they did it would never be as big as Star Wars maybe today it might have but not then well that kind of goes back to something that Josh just brought up a little while ago but like the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek and how like Star Trek is starting to have like for good or for ill, like adapt some of the stuff of uh, Star Star Wars, yeah. you know, is it is it just that like 
as intellectual as Joe said, you know, that next gen DS nine and Voyager were, you know, it's just, it's something that's intellectual that you can't, you can't get kids are not lining up per se to like buy their Catherine Janeway or Benjamin Cisco <laughs> action. No, no, be serious. I mean, like, like so, I know, some, of, I some of us were, some of <laughs> us were James. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not discounting playmates figures. Cause I had them too. I'm just saying yeah. like, if you have Luke Skywalker versus Captain Picard, I don't. I don't know if like you know because I know toys sell too. Watch it. I, Watch <laughs> it. <laughs> Listen, I, I own. I own both both series. I own. I had my entire next next generation crew along with all my power of the force figures. But anyway, I mean, do you, do you think it's some of that, um, Dan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 Star Trek has always been more cerebral, more thought provoking, more science oriented. Star Wars is, you know. Uh, uh, Spaceships and blasters and lightsabers and weird aliens and things. So it, it from the very get go, was more popular with uh, the younger crowd, with kids. And, uh, and you know, Paramount finally coming around to that now with the new Star Trek shows they're doing. They're doing the animated Star Trek Prodigy, you know, and and some of the things they're doing are starting to try to appeal more to that um, younger audience of Star Trek as well. And uh, you know, I think that it's it's interesting today. I don't know. Today it wouldn't be because I've, I've been asked many times. They said, "Would you, would you start the fan clubs again now with everything that's going on?" And my answer is that I would start them now, but because we have the internet, they would be kind of more um, a, an online fan club where you'd have a, a special pass. You get to come in, and you get all this exclusive information and such, and then there might be a you know, maybe a, uh, a quarterly magazine that would go out to people. But, you know, the Internet has changed the landscape completely. I mean, now there is no, you, you know, if something happens, there's, there's a piece of news, man, it's out there on the Internet in a half second. And it's mm-hmm. like wildfire across, across it. You know, back in my day, you know, the only information you could find about Episode One and the new Star Wars movies was essentially through the Star Wars Insider, and you had to wait for the magazine to arrive. And every issue, I would have an update with Rick Berman, uh, well, with Rick Berman for Star Trek, but with Rick McCallum for Star Wars, and uh, you know, we had some of the very first images um, from the new prequel, and so yeah, you know, it was a, uh, it was really a desert back then as far as being able to find out information, new things, and yeah. that that's what made the fan club and its magazine so valuable. Was that that was the lifeline for both Trek and Wars. To the fans, because <clears throat> there was no internet then. You might watch an episode of Entertainment Tonight, and they might have, you know, a visit to the set of Star Trek, you know, or something, and they might have a little clip or something, you know, and that would be the most you'd get. But it was, it was, uh, there wasn't much out there when I was doing our thing. No, there, yeah, there, I mean, there, the, there the, the excuse me, they were, uh, sorry, Josh, uh, there were the, uh, no. the fan letters, as you said, and there were the conventions, too. And the conventions, um, right, yes. I was, at, I was at the very, Dan, I was at the very first Star Trek convention here in New York. Oh, wow. January 21st, 20, to the 23rd, 1972. Yes. And I was blown away by it. Uh, that's James, that's not the convention where I, where I li- almost ran down uh, Jimmy Doohan. That was a few <laughs> years later. <laughs> that's terrible. I, I'm a klutz. But... Um, I think I was, I was about 16 years old when I went to that convention. My friends and I went, and we was we were just blown away. Oh my God! Look, there's other people like us that <laughs> like this. We're not the only nerds in New York, and it was just amazing. That's how we found out things: comic book conventions, yes. Star Trek conventions, um, 
science fiction conventions. You, you, you learned about forthcoming projects at these conventions or through the newsletters like you, you, you produced. Yeah. Or if you were a comic book nerd, you, you, you got information on, on the comic book page, the letter pages. Well, and there was the, also, uh, back then, there was also Starlog magazine. So yes, there was, right. Starlog yeah. also had some stuff, and there were some, there was a, two or three others. I've Off the top of my head, I can't remember the names of them, but, you know, Starlog was the main one, and they'd have some mm-hmm. stuff in it. And, so, and, I, and I get every issue. Starlog, you know, I love Starlog. Yeah, I would too. Yes, Terry I did. Yes. Quinn, the, one of the public, the publisher of Starlog, was became a good friend of mine, and uh, we corresponded all the time back then. And he he was a real inspiration for me. I miss that magazine. Oh yeah, it was great. Yeah. Starlog was yeah. great. I miss magazines. Period. Yes. Yeah. As Dan was saying, yeah. everything is yeah. digitized today, and it's just there's something definitely missing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I. I believe the the digital archive of Starlog is available at um, the yeah. Internet Archive. I've heard at that. I've heard that, Josh. Org. Actually, I've heard, I haven't gone to it, but I've heard that. Thanks, Josh. Let's check that out. Yeah. Um, no, but it's interesting, you know, like you guys are saying, and this was sort of where the my uh, my podcast question to you was coming from. It's like there were so many different ways to connect and sort of and sort of express your your love of something now with the internet and social media and youtube streaming shows and and podcasts and everything you know it's funny i i also um when i was 10 years old i made a star wars newsletter that i probably i know i i cut out uh pictures from magazines i'm sure it was from the insider and uh you know this podcast is through james is a virtual recreation of a comic shop that we uh we grew up in and joe was uh one of the owners of the owner at the time graciously allowed me uh, to put a stack of my newsletters on the the um uh, the checkout uh counter and it's just you know i don't know where that impulse comes from to not just connect but but in this specific case uh, yours as well, also to create something, yes. like like to make something, to share. Yep. And I often wonder, you know, the internet existed then, but not in the way that it does now. And I often wonder, like, what what my experience of discovering Star Trek, discovering Star Wars, and uh, these various other, you know, fandoms that I'm a part of would have been like had had it been... You know, the other fans were so much more visible, and it was so much, uh, so much easier to express yourself. Like, you didn't have to uh, to beg your mom to drive you to Kinkos <laughs> to photocopy your thing, and then say no to the color photocopy because it was more expensive, and then have the clerk say he's not allowed to photocopy this because the images in it were copyrighted. <laughs> you didn't have to go through all that. Right out of my life, I swear to God. Yeah. Really? Well, well, that's well, that's what happened to me when I was ten years old. Um, that's great, Josh. Uh, uh, the difference between you and me is I never, uh, I never got past one issue. Uh, but then, thirty something years later, I'm doing a podcast. So, so it's sort of the well, sequel. There you, go. there you go. It's. I'm not yeah. doing a podcast, so you're ahead of me now. No, well, well, so, so I guess, um, you know, if you can, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pull out a question out of all the words I just said. It's, 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 it's something about how the nature of the interaction has 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 changed it's so much more visible and available and you would think that um that would 
make it less special, but it 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 doesn't feel less special. It still feels like you know you're you're sharing a special secret with like-minded people. So I guess um, if there is a question, uh, could you reflect on the way fandom has changed since uh, uh, you know the Star Trek the Motion Picture fan club to you know this this age that we're well, in now? I can tell you the biggest way it's changed is that it's now it's cool to be a geek. I mean. Uh... Back in, mm-hmm. back in my exactly. day, you yeah. know, people would make fun of, uh, you know, Trekkies, you know, and um, and, yes. and such. And so, uh, you know, the, the the famous old Saturday Night Live sketch with Shatner, you know, get a light. You know, for me, I mean, one thing I noticed is that, you know, and now, you know, you go to San Diego Comic Con, there's 130,000 geeks all com- that all convene on that place every year, so to speak. And so... You know, um, and there's all these new series and movies and and things. And my gosh, the action figure lines are good. God, how many different ones they have! And I just think mm-hmm. the biggest change is because the internet now. You know, you can get your news immediately, instantly. You can go to a numerous websites, uh, fan sites that that have uh, their own coverage and their own stuff, and they do their own interviews. And um, um, and then of course. You know, as I said, you know, and I, I can tell you another thing back that's changed from my day to now. There's a lot more girls that are into sci-fi and Star Wars and Star Trek. I can't believe, you know, over 50% of everyone who goes to these conventions now are, are women. That that is a, a that is a fact that we did a study when I was working with Ashley Eckstein and her, um, her fashion line, her universe. I worked with her for 10 years until she sold that to um, Hot Topic. Who still is running it? She hit and she struck a nerve because she was producing uh, female apparel for all of these franchises that were enormously popular. You know, we had Star Wars dresses and skirts and scarves, and so then we got the license for Star Trek, and on and on and on. And so the female fan base has just grown exponentially to the point where I'm not. I'm I, be honest, you know, I think it's gone a little bit over the male audience now. Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, characters. It's it's for everyone now. Like, there's everyone is represented, which I think is it's part of my background is I'm half uh, Chinese, and so I've noticed like an influx of more Asian characters, and I never really thought about it until recently. So it's it's nice. There's like there's yeah. a character for everybody, or in these franchises, um, Star Wars, Star Trek, and beyond. So it's it's nice that there's someone Very there true. for everybody to uh, hang on to, uh, hang on to. But I was kind of just reflecting a little bit about what Josh was saying about the internet and podcasting and, and your time in it, you are, you were, I mean, the journalist that you were, you kind of were, you'd be the internet where the internet got their information from. I mean, how does it, like, how does it feel like you were the guy back in the day who, if you wanted to know something, you would be the guy who would release it out what? into the world. And, and it was actually, and it was real information. It wasn't like, like this, you know, there's like so many like rumor, rumor mill about who's casting and what they're doing. Like you what's, had the what's real information. You asked me that because uh, that was an exciting thing for me because I can remember I would get this information. I'd be like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get this into the mail so that I can let everybody read it, you know? And, um, and then I'd get like Lucasum would, um, piecemeal out a few photos every time you know just a little bit here a little bit there and those were some of the very first images for episode one that anybody saw and same thing with star trek with the star trek films each one come out we'd get some of the very first information some of the first photos you know we were one of the first time magazine and us were the first one to get the first image 
of Ricardo Montalban as Khan, that famous shot of of him with the two with the two uh, girls, you know. Um, they sent that to Time Magazine and us at the same time. Of course, Time used it on some page, you know, updating page about what's happening, and it was a little picture of us. We blasted it out in a big giant picture, and so uh, yeah, it was it was very cool because I would specifically go to them and ask them, I need more information, I need more photos, you know, and they'd say, well, we can only give you so much, and I'm like, yeah, okay, so I had to live with what they gave me, but boy, there were some times that I got some such cool stuff, and I was like, not wait for this issue to get out, when I finally, when we finally got it off the press, and it was mailed, I, I, I would heave a big sigh of relief because I thought, okay, now that information is going to spread. It's going to be all over, you know, all over the Star Wars world or all over the Star Trek world. The difference is, is that, you know, we'd get uh, mail mail and stuff all about it. But there weren't, you know, the Internet wasn't like it is now. So, you know, you couldn't go on the Internet and find this out or find that out, you know, and say, oh, yeah. And they it said in the Star Wars Insider or it said in the Star Trek Communicator. But I knew it was getting out there. That's the cool thing. Did you like when you were putting together magazines for either the you know the Star the Star Trek Communicator or the Star Wars Insider? Did you the information you got knew which issue they were going in, or did you get like a whole bunch of information at once and you were told like no, you can't release this until this episode drops or this movie? Like, were you in charge of the moderation of the material, or were they they had a pretty? Well, tight... I was in charge of the moderation, but I'd take just anything they gave me and get it into their very next issue. Because I didn't do my People magazine or Time or Newsweek or whatever, you know. So I, uh, you know, every issue of both magazines, I do updates with a variety of people. You know, with Star Trek, it was usually Rick Berman. In the beginning, it was updates with Gene Roddenberry before The Next Generation came out. And in fact, we were the very first place that people got to read the um, character descriptions of the new the new characters for the next generation. Um, Dean provided wow. us with wow. a sketch drawing of the new Enterprise. That was the first time anybody had ever seen it. And, us, and along with that, we had the, the, the small little bios of each of the new characters. And um, like Jean-Luc Picard, it wasn't Jean-Luc, it was Julian Picard, the name he originally had. The characters were a little bit different, and they, um, but the same thing with Star Wars. I mean... Uh, I did up Rick McCaffrey because he was the producer on on all the prequels, and I would try to get as many interviews with George as I could to talk. Every movie that came out prior to them working on Star Wars, I would do an interview with George on Willow, and I would do an interview with George on Indiana Jones, and you know I'd always throw in there at the end of every interview a couple of Star Wars questions. Yeah, primarily, you know, when are you getting back to Star Wars? And his and his answer was so frustrating because every time it was like, well, I plan on getting back to it someday. Don't know when. And I'm like, oh man, okay, well, it's like could you just tell me next year or something to get people excited. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I I can't tell you how many years I went uh, frustrated that we didn't have any definitive news on when Star Wars was coming back until I got the call about the first about the first prequel. And then it was like, okay, the bells and the alarms all went off, and it was like, all right, 
things are going to really start to happen now. Well, to like kind of like um, sort of like do the flip side of, of, what, of what Josh's interview was, was with you when you were there for episode one. Since you were there for the next generation, you got to see all this stuff ahead of time. What were your what were your thoughts? Like, I know you re- reported like, you know, responsible journalist, you reported the information. But were you like, oh, this is going to be great or being such a hardcore original series motion picture fan where you're like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. Look at the ship. I you don't know, know about these characters. Because I clearly remember I was invited out to the set of The Next Generation. This was before it ever aired on TV. And I got a tour of all the sets by Gene himself. And he walked around and he wow. took me to all the sets and showed me this and showed me that. I got to sit in Picard's command chair on the bridge. And, and at one point, we, wow. we kind of walked behind one of the sets and all of a sudden, up from behind comes this guy wearing a yellow uniform, and he's got a face that looks kind of white, and it looked kind of shiny, you know? And I was like, and and Gene looked, oh, he says, Brent, come over here. He says, this is Brent Spiner. He plays Data. He says, he's going to be the real star of this new show. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, nice to meet you. And he's like, nice to meet you. And I remember as he walked away, I thought, man, he doesn't, I, I, his makeup doesn't look very good. I was thinking... It, it, it doesn't look like makeup. It looked it was all shiny and everything. I remember thinking, that, that looks better on the screen because it sure didn't look very good in life. But no, when I saw the sets, I was just blown away. I thought, wow, this is so different, but yet so cool. Um, and Gene, you know, assured me that it was going to be traditional Star Trek, but with a new updated look. Um, and um, so I was... Uh, I was very excited to get to see the sets. And one of the things, you mentioned secrets and things, when I found out, I found out many, many months in advance that uh, DeForest Kelly was going to make an appearance as uh, the old McCoy on that first episode. Boy, I tell you what, took everything that I could do without, to not, you know, spill that information before we got to see him. But that was pretty exciting to find out that we were going to see an original character, albeit as an aged old man in an episode of The Next Generation. And the same thing with Spock, when Spock was going to come on that two-part episode. You know, I thought about that almost a half a year before it ever happened. And that was another one of those I had to keep zip my lips. Wow. I could have never done that. I just couldn't do it. (laughs) I would just blab it out, man. I could never do that. Oh, that's that's incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was was exciting. Speaking of... um of Indiana Jones, I'm seeing all of the, the, the advertisements for the new movie that's, that's about to come out soon. Um, when you see the, the marketing for, you know, a new Indiana Jones project or a new Star Wars or Star Trek project sort of uh, kicking into high gear, like, do you get a, uh, kind of like a pang of, you know, you miss the energy and the action and like, you're imagining what, what must be going on and you wish that you were sort of, sort of, uh, back in the, the saddle, time. as it were. All the time. When I all these new things, I keep thinking, yeah. man, I'd have been doing the fan clubs today. I mean, look at all the different Star Trek shows and Star Wars shows. And there's another Indiana Jones movie. And, you know, it's just amazing to me that, you know, all the new stuff. And, yeah, there are – I do get pangs of thinking, man, I wish I was still doing it Because, you know, all these things I could cover and people I could talk to and, and were so much more sophisticated in, in how and do things um but you know my i had my time and i i i i appreciate what i had and and uh i've moved on to other things and so it's um it's uh it's where it is and you know the fan clubs would not be the same today as were then because 
primarily because of the internet. And there's just so many other fan sites out there now. And, you know, Star Wars has its official site and Star Trek has its. its and uh, it's just, it's the world has changed. And uh, it, it's a different place than it was when I was doing my stuff. Yeah. Well, speaking of like, I know uh, we have a little bit more time with you, Dan, but, you know, speaking of future projects, I know you, you have a you have your own memoir you're working on, right? I do. It's it's probably the most painful project I've ever done. And I don't mean painful. there's tragic things in it. I mean, just trying to pull all these memories out. I have a whole cabinet of just amazing stuff. And I go through it and see if there's something that sparks my memory that I can put down you know, and write about this or write about that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm working on that right now. And um, it, it's going to be good. I hope people will like it because there's a lot of stuff in there people never heard before. Oh, wow. Do you have like um, a timeline for it or it's just, it's just how the writing process takes you? <laughs> it's just how the writing process takes me, but um, I expect it to be out in the first quarter of next year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's I'd hope, great. I'd hope for the end of this year, but I can already tell. Uh, you know, I only have so much time to write and things, and I'm, I'm about three quarters of the way through, but I still have another quarter of the book to do. And so, yeah, I'm guessing probably early next year. Oh, wow. We all be pre-ordered soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's definitely a, a labor of love. I can tell you that, and it uh, it's got a lot of a lot of great stories that uh, I've never been able to tell. I am eagerly, eagerly anticipating uh, getting a chance to read that book. Um, I have one final uh, question for you from me. Sure. I read somewhere that you're uh, you're a big admirer of uh, of Abraham Lincoln. Right behind me there. I was one. That's Lee. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That right behind me, above my head, that's an original campaign flag from Lincoln's 1860 campaign. And wow. right below it wow. is an original campaign hand-colored poster for Lincoln's 1860 campaign. So, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but, yeah, that I am a big, big fan of Lincoln. No, yeah, that's something we could probably do a whole hour on that and its own. But um, knowing that and uh, uh, trying to stay somewhat on topic here, I, I was wondering, um, in your estimation, what's the your favorite depiction of Abraham Lincoln in film or TV? And why is it the original Star Trek episode, The Savage Curtain? I always love The Savage Curtain because of Lincoln. And, you know, Lincoln... Lincoln was Kirk's hero. He says it in that episode. And what's interesting is that long before I ever became this interested in Lincoln, um, I, when I interviewed Gene one time, I asked him who his heroes were, and he mentioned Abraham Lincoln was one of his heroes. So, um, really, it, yeah, it didn't surprise me that Lincoln showed up in Star Trek. Um, but no, if you're asking me, my favorite would have to be hands down Daniel Day Lewis and Spielberg's Lincoln. He, it was almost like watching Lincoln come back to life. Um, I, I yeah. so enjoyed that. And then I was really impressed with the performance of um, the actor who played Lincoln in the in last year's History Channel miniseries, Lincoln, that was produced by uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin. That was an amazing performance. And I've become friends with uh, the actor who played that, Graham, and uh, he did a fantastic job as Lincoln in that. So those would be my two favorites. But I would have to say Daniel Day-Lewis brought Lincoln to life more than anybody I, I, I have seen. 
Yeah, what was really astounding to... So, I mean, I agree with you. That was an astonishing performance. I haven't uh, seen that History Channel series, but I'll have to check it out. But the thing that really uh, the thing that really struck me about Daniel Day-Lewis's Lincoln, beyond the entire just, you know, physicality of it, obviously, was just, uh, uh, you know, uncanny, but also the voice. Uh, yeah. And he, he did his real study on that, because a lot of people have no idea what Abraham Lincoln sounded like. But his yeah. voice... Right. There are many, many reports of what he sounded like, and it is it, if you read them all, like I have, they they very much describe it the way Daniel Day Lewis sounds, and so he tried to get the voice as close to what Lincoln might have really sounded like, and that's another piece of you know he just did his homework. He was able to you know write down to the voice, you know, you know he didn't have a big booming deep voice. It was this kind of you know twangy kind of high-pitched Kentucky drawl um, voice, and, and Daniel Day-Lewis nailed it. I, I have a question for you, Dan. This is far from uh, uh, Mr. Lincoln, but uh, being the Star Trek uh, aficionado you are and expert, I've got to know who your favorite character in Star Trek canon is. Oh, um, that's an interesting question. Um, you're talking about through everything from beginning to now? Yeah, you're, the, the CV series up to now, up until uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the movies. Well, you know, I've always been, I'm, I'm, I'm partial to Captain Kirk. I've always liked Captain Kirk. Okay. You know, I I, I, uh, I always thought Kirk was cool, and I, I liked the way he looked and the way he acted and such. And so I've always been a big fan of, of Kirk. He was my favorite all, all, all along. So, And I hate to say it, and I don't mean to be cruel but you know the latest performance of i don't even know the actor's name who plays kirkins uh in um strange new worlds i, I he, he just doesn't do it for me he's not he's not kirk chris pine he did a great kirk i thought i agree with that yes yeah and i'm not impressed with the and i hope he never this actor never sees this interview because i i'm not <laughs> he's just like a, another character he doesn't seem like kirk to me i think i think we actually made some I'm sorry, Josh. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say we actually made some very similar observations yes, on our uh, Strange New Worlds shows. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we did too. We thought he wasn't. I just don't think he's, um, especially standing next to Anson Mount. Uh, oh, Captain I love Mars. Anson Mount, though. I think yeah, he's a terrific actor. actor. He's a presence yeah. on the screen. Hmm. He fills up the small screen. He really does. This uh, new actor playing Kirk, I hopefully he will literally grow into the role. He just doesn't seem to have the physical presence. I hope but yeah, maybe I he'll surprise us. I was really excited when I heard Anson Mount was going to be playing Pike because not only does he have a bit of a similar facial features to him, but I loved him on um, Hell on Wheels. He was one of my favorites mm. on that Western series. We watched that from beginning to end. Ah, I've got to check that and out. I've never... him before he ever got on Star Trek. So, I, yeah, he's good. I really like him, and I like his his portrayal of Pike. Uh, Dan, do you know if he's an accomplished equestrian? Because he does ride horses on. He does. I don't know if an accomplished equestrian, but I do know that he has ridden horses, and okay. I don't know that he has owns horses, but yes, he has ridden horses, and he knows he knows how to ride a horse. That I do know. Something that people in Hollywood years ago knew, knew how to do. They yeah. really did. Yeah. 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 Very good. Uh, obviously, Shatner and... Uh, and uh, well, Shatner. Well, Bill Shatner. Yeah. He's, he's, he's the total equestrian. Yeah. Yeah, James Jury, the Virginian, uh, Doug McClure, who was a, who came from the rodeo world before he yeah. even started on that on that on on the Virginian. These men, they didn't need uh, uh, stand-ins when they rode off when they rode off on the, on their horses. 
yeah. you actually were able to handle those those, uh, those right. animals. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely right. Uh, I want to hold this up, Dan, and this is an original that I read in 1970, and this particular book, Star Trek book, this Star Trek and this book opened up a world, the world of science fiction to me. And shortly after reading this book, I discovered Isaac Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, Bradbury, Heinlein. So I don't, I don't know if you can see that, Dan. Yes. The well, yes. No, hold, hold it up a little higher. Is that better? Oh yes, Spock must die. I had that one. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Look at the chair yeah. in the back. <laughs> I read that so well. I had all of those novels. I loved those. Huh? I've got tons of Star Trek novels. I enjoy them. I enjoy them immensely. And this, this, but I said this Star Trek and and this particular novel gave me uh, the impetus to, to to really discover science fiction. I'm so happy it happened. Just, That's uh, fantastic. I mean, it's done. It's inspired so many people. Oh, very much so. I know. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. You've you've given us so much information, and and I, I hopefully you'll you'll come back when your book is out. Maybe we can interview you and talk to you about that. And also, maybe you'll consider being a judge to decide if Star Trek: The Motion Picture is the best Star Trek movie of all time, or as Joe says, is it just parallel parking in space? Not sure I can go that far, but. I, I'm oh, yeah. Star Trek Four is the best movie, Star Trek movie of all time. Star Trek Four. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I was making that it was the best Star Trek movie no, of all no, time. No. I no, no we weren't. I we got to think the sticks a little bit now. That was a two-parter. <laughs> I'll be happy to come back and and, and uh, help you decide what that what that really is. Well, we, appre- we appreciate that. Well, Dan, before before we let you go, can you uh, take a moment and please uh, plug anything and everything where people can find you, reach out to you, see your sure. stuff. Um, well, I'm I'm uh, I got my my memoirs I'm writing right now. That'll be out early next year. Um, they can find me on Twitter at the Dan Matson. Um, they can find me on Facebook um, under Dan Matson, and um, on Instagram I'm Matson eight nine seven three. And so through all of those social channels, I kind of post memories and things that I've done and things that I'm doing, and they want to keep up with with all of that stuff. Uh, that's where they can do it. Well, thank you so much for, for again, being on. You, I, I look forward to having you on again. And um, listening audience, if you've enjoyed this episode with Dan, uh, please uh, please go to the Facebook page and, you know, leave a comment or go to our Instagram, Secret Origins MC. Um, but, of course, aside from Dan, I could not do this show without my two other hosts. So thank you, Joe. You're quite welcome, James. This was a real treat. And thank you, Josh. My pleasure. This was a ton of fun. And uh, we will see you and on the next uh, episode. <laughs>